Hi everybody, this is Josh McKinney, and I just want to welcome you to episode 35 of the I Suck at Jujutsu Show. Now today, I am going to release an interview that I did a few weeks ago with two-time ADCC gold medalist, JT Torres. Now, JT is perhaps one of the most motivating people that I have ever gotten to talk to. And when I say that, I don't mean in that salesy, I'm telling you to go out and chase your dreams sort of way. I mean it in a, he is motivating by association, simply by talking to him. I even mentioned this at some point in the episode. I was having trouble staying in my seat. He is just motivating the way he views goals, the way he pushes towards goals, and just his uh, his honesty on things. It's just so motivating and so exciting to be around. And so I really hope that that is what you guys get to draw from this interview also, because it's what I got out of the interview. And so without further ado, here's the episode. Wait, before we get started with the interview, I have something important to tell you. We have a sponsor, a real-life sponsor for the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. Okay, it's not a real-life sponsor. It's actually me sponsoring my own show because, well, let's face it. Who else would want to sponsor this show? Now, recently, I partnered with BJ Fanatics, and I created something called the Knee Cut Roadmap. And this is an instructional available at BJJFanatics.com. And I want you guys to know that it would mean the world to me if you were to purchase it, if you were to check it out. Look, I am not a Gordon Ryan level competitor. I am not a John Danaher when it comes to explaining things, but I am very good at jujitsu. I understand certain positions very well. And one of those positions is the knee cut. I also can promise you 100% without a doubt that this is the most entertaining jujitsu instructional that you have ever witnessed. And I know you're saying, well, how can a jujitsu instructional be entertaining? Well, you guys are just going to have to check it out. You're going to have to take my word for it. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. And now here's the interview. You know, you and then it okay. should come back on and go ahead and just talk into it and just uh all right perfect we're here yes recording sounding good everything's yes. here all right, all right so now we should be good to go all right cool all right okay jt how are you doing man i'm doing pretty good man just you know making the most of my time right now i'm, I'm currently in quarantine lockdown here in new york so uh just trying to make the most of my time and you know given the circumstances i'm doing pretty good just trying to stay positive and, you know, stay busy. Yeah. What are you doing to stay busy? I'm actually doing a lot of, uh, you know, virtual prior lessons right now. So I, I kind of put that out there. Um, some people have messaged me about doing stuff like that, talking about game planning, mindset, just developing, you know, different methods and improving. And people just want to pick my brain. And usually I don't really don't have time for that, you know, with my daily grind of teaching and training and, and you know, lifting and running. Um, now that I have a lot of time on my hands, I've been doing a lot of that and actually been enjoying that. So I've been staying busy with that. I've also been holding virtual classes for 
my students at my academy um, and, you know, using those, doing those things just to, you know, help pass the time and, like I said, make most of my time. I don't want to just sit around and let the time pass by without doing something productive. So staying busy with that. So is that how did how did your um, like virtual privates look? How does that how does that usually go? So usually uh, one of two ways we can either people usually want to talk about just the general uh, my general ideas on on how to approach training, how to approach getting ready for a tournament, how to build a training camp or how to like structure a training camp. Um, I have had one on ones with other academy owners and they ask me questions, you know, how, how do I run my training? How do I, you know, run the daily operations of owning an academy? And then sometimes I have people ask me technical questions where they'll ask me about certain positions and I'm lucky enough to, you know, live with my fiance. So I throw a gi on her and we have some little puzzle mats and people will usually ask me questions on different positions and they'll screen record it and I'll show them my, uh, my opinions on those positions on, on my fiance. So it's pretty cool. Um, it's like watching a live instructional for them in a yeah. way. Um, and yeah, so that's usually how I do it. I either do it one of two ways or, or sometimes a person will want to do like a hybrid of the two. They'll ask me a few questions on mindset or, you know, training and then they'll ask me about a position or two. Um, right. but yeah, but people seem to be really enjoying it. That's awesome. Does your fiance train? Yeah, she is a blue belt. All right. All right. Yeah. How long has she been training for? She's been training, I, I want to say like four or five years now. Okay, and did you get her into jujitsu? I did. When we first met uh, back in 2012, she had no idea about jujitsu. She had no idea what it was, and she thought it was really strange. The first time uh -huh. I brought her to, you know, watch me train, uh, she was like, "What the heck is this? You know, like this is the weirdest thing I've ever uh -huh. seen in my life." And now, you know, she helps me run the academy. Uh, well, I should say she runs the academy, and I'm <laughs> the one, you know, running the training on the mats. And she's all into it. She she uh, loves training. She loves. She's competed already once before. Uh, she's all about it. How did she do when she competed? She did really well, actually. She took home the silver medal. Um, in my opinion, I think she should have won the match. It was a really close match, but I think she was the aggressor. Um, but she did really well. Was, you know, for her first tournament, she went out there and and made it to the finals, which is, you know, it's hard for anyone to go out there and compete in the first place and for her to go out there her first one and, and do well and, and compete well was really impressive. Did you feel like it was harder to coach your fiance than 100%. a normal? Yeah. A hundred percent just because, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm deeply, I'm more deeply connected with her, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so for sure it was definitely hard, uh, to coach her just cause you know, I, I probably felt more nervous than I do when I compete. Yeah, yeah. And did you um, did you feel that nerd like that heart rate that you would get when you compete? Oh yeah, definitely, a hundred percent. I felt it right away, and I mean, I even feel that when I uh, you know coach my students and things like that. But you know, when it's your you know your fiance, your wife out there, you're like, oh. Yeah, it is. It is up another level. My wife started training eight months ago and we've been together for a long time. I've trained for a long time, but cool. it just kind of one of those things. She started training and the game plan was uh, my dad's a black belt too. the game plan oh, nice. was my dad was going to coach her and he wasn't there. They, they called their division like three hours early or something. And wow. I was like, well, I guess I'm coaching her. And honestly, it <laughs> 
without a doubt was the most stressful situation I've ever been in. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely stressful, but it, you know, after the after the fact, I think it brings you guys closer, though. You know, oh it's, yeah, it's an it's an experience. Yeah, and my wife had no trouble flexing on me the whole time. Like, yeah, I got gold. It's no big deal. <laughs> Whatever, you know. Did, That's awesome. Didn't That's stay awesome. humble in it, man. Okay, so uh, just kind of wanted to start the podcast um, with this, and this is just I don't know where it's going to go. I think it might be fun. It might not. Um, okay. But uh, I um, have seen on Instagram a lot of the Atos guys call you Coach, and yeah. I. think it, it seems like it's a fun nickname that they're because that's you see on all your posts, they'll just say coach, stuff like that. And I was curious yeah. as to where that um, nickname kind of came from. Uh, Josh Hinger started that. So um, when Josh Hinger, so he, Josh, Josh is from California, but he spent years out in Indiana training. Mm-hmm. And then he made a transition to move back to San Diego to begin, you know, training full blast, you know, at Autos. So when he moved back, I want to say this was probably around 2013, somewhere around that time. Uh, when he moved back, I remember his first class that he came into was a class that I was teaching. I was running the class and maybe Galval was out uh, traveling somewhere for a seminar or something like that. And I remember I was put in charge of the class. And when he came in, um, I introduced myself and he goes, nice to meet you, coach. And ever since then, it just kind of stuck. And now he just calls me coach, you know. And there was also another time where uh, I had knee surgery in 2015. And when I had knee surgery, I just, you know, I was out for like three months. I wasn't able to train, but I was, I was still coming into the academy and watching the practices and help, helping coach from the sidelines. And I remember uh, Professor Gabal took a super fight against Hamalo Bahal, I think at the ACB jiu-jitsu event. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gabal asked me, hey, can you, can you run the training camp for me? Can you be like the coach? Can you be on the mats making sure that I stay motivated and pushing me? And I said, yeah, it'd be an honor. So uh, I'll put me in charge of his camp for that super fight. And the nickname became even stronger than they're like, you're the coach, you're the coach. And <laughs> that's that's where I came from. It's stuck ever since. So um, we'll just take a step back and, and kind of ask you, where did you um, start jujitsu or why did you start jujitsu? Uh, so I first started jujitsu in New York. Um in Rockland County, New York, in a little karate school where I used to train karate. My first jiu-jitsu instructor was my karate instructor. Um, he was a blue belt at the time under Hoist Gracie. And I, I dived into jiu-jitsu after I got my black belt in karate. And this is the same summer leading into high school. So when I was going to high school, I told myself, I don't want to do karate anymore. I'm, you know, I'm just not about that anymore. I, you know, mm-hmm. I want to do something different. So I went to high school. Um, freshman year, I was super into skateboarding and basketball. So I tried out for the basketball team. I got cut. I made it all the way to final cuts. I got cut. Um, so I was kind of just not doing much. I was just kind of skateboarding and, you know, not, not being re- really active outside of skateboarding. So my father, who's always been someone who's active and, you know, worked out, stayed in shape. He was an athlete growing up. He was an active swimmer. He was a competitor. Um, 
so he's always had that bug. He's he's enjoyed watching the UFC back in that time too. So he's always like martial arts and training and all that stuff. So he's the one who told me, hey, why don't you go back and you know continue your martial arts training and all that? I'm like, well, I don't really want to do karate. I already mastered it, right? I got black belt. <laughs> That's what I thought then, you know, as a 14, 15 year old. And I said, you know what? I'll give the jiu-jitsu class a try. And at the time, my my karate teacher only had like one class a week. You know, the main focus at his academy was karate, but uh, he did have a jiu-jitsu class. And even throughout the years where I did karate, he would always teach a little bit of jiu-jitsu in the karate classes. You know, he mm-hmm. would show like an Americano or a guillotine, you know. So I always had like a little idea of uh, submissions and the submission holds and control. But when I took the class, the jiu-jitsu class, that was the first time I took that actual jiu-jitsu class since I've been in that academy. I loved it. I really liked it. And it I, I got hooked since since that first class, and ever since that first class, I just went all in. I started studying and, and finding as much information as I could, and um, it's something I stuck with since that day. So you start studying. Where? What was – so you're in high school now, right? I'm uh, in high school now. What yep. year would that have been? Uh, 2005? or 2004, something around that okay, time. Okay, so studying for you consisted of jujitsu books, or? Yeah, so for me at the time, there I mean, YouTube didn't have anything on it. There wasn't much, there weren't any really instruct- instructionals out there. Um, there weren't any, there was no online training site like there is now. You know, there's tons of information now, and we didn't have that back then. So what I would do, I would go to Barnes & Nobles and kind of just look through, like, uh, I remember the, the big magazine then was Grappling Magazine. So uh-huh. I looked through that magazine. Um, there was another martial arts magazine called Black Belt. And sometimes they would have like a little jiu-jitsu feature in the magazine. I would look at those positions. Uh, I would buy the magazines and take, take them home and, and try to recreate those positions in training. Um, there was also a website. I, if I remember correctly, it was bjj.org. Uh-huh. And it was a website where they had like pictures of positions like, like the transitions and it was picture after picture and i would look at that i would look at that website for hours and just look at all the positions they had on there and then i would go to the next practice to the next training and i would try to just repeat those positions i i saw in the magazine or on that little website and that's how i got my my studying and and so you are bj.org that you could also like find gyms near you too right wasn't that a I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, I think that that was that was part of it, and that was kind of um, you know that was back when to learn jujitsu. Obviously, you still have to try to learn, but you had to yeah. seek out so much more. Um, oh yeah. Than you do now, right? If I post about jujitsu on Facebook, I get twenty jujitsu ads. You yeah. know, and so um, kind of then you were having to to chase technique and find technique. What would you kind of give as advice to somebody now where there is maybe even too much technique out there and it can cause you to be jumping from one thing to the next? You know, the advice I would give, it's, you know, you definitely want to keep keep your mind open. You want to be open-minded. You don't want to have a narrow view on jiu-jitsu. But with that being said, uh, you know, start start adapting things that suit your body type, that suit your you know, I, I would even go as far as saying your age and weight and your height, you know, because that's how custom made jiu-jitsu is for everybody. You know, you can expect 
a 60 year old doing jujitsu to do the same techniques as a 19 year old. Mm -hmm. So, you know, make sure you choose techniques that work best for you and focus on growing around those techniques. You know, nowadays you see people sometimes bounce from game to game to game to game, which is good. You know, you want to experiment around, but after a certain point, you definitely want to start honing in on things that suit you best. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually kind of something that I was interested in talking to you about is your game. I mean, um, you could probably describe it a bunch of different ways, but I would always like describe it with like forward, right? It's yeah. always forward. Um, space is kind of the enemy, especially when you're on top. You just dominate the space. Yes. Um, you don't typically, especially now, but even when you were coming up, you didn't see the smaller guys, the lightweights doing that as much. Um, obviously, you were under Jared for a while, and he yeah. has that. And so I wasn't sure if that's maybe where you started to feel that style and get that style. But I was just curious is, um, in your words, how you would say you started developing, um, that smash close style, especially as a lightweight. Um, it was definitely from Jared, you know, learning and training under Jared for years, um, definitely helped me develop that game. And honestly, the way I kind of got hooked onto that game was him doing it to me when I first started training with him, when he, you know, at that time, I've never felt that sort of pressure or control, mm -hmm. you know. So I remember the first time he got into a deep knee cut on me, I was like, damn, like this is I can't push this guy away. I can't move this guy right now. I'm like, I need to do that. I need to learn that. So I would say that was probably around brown belt, purple belt, uh, brown belt era where I really started keying in on that game, on that heavy top pressure game with a lot of control behind it. Um, so yeah, big, you know, big shout out to Jared for really putting me on that game because even, even now, like you were saying, that's my, that's my game, you know, yeah. uh, that's, that's what I do when I go out there and, and when I've won these big titles, world titles, I've won those world titles with that game, you know, it's mm -hmm. tight, no space, um, and just simple, you know, simple, effective jujitsu that just works. Uh -huh. And that was, um, I actually was talking to Jared on the podcast about, you and he described your game like because i was asking him what's different right yeah and he described it as you know everything is perfect in it he said one step after another it just happens over and over and he's so good at just that one step after another and i think a lot of times that goes into people just understanding their own game Right. Yeah. You get you for certain positions. You've been in these positions a million times and you know how the guy's going to react and then how you're going to beat that. Where yeah. do you, where do you develop that? When did that start to develop for you? Um, I would say, you know, definitely during the time training with Jared. Um, but I would say I started working on that when I started competing regularly at the highest level at Black Belt. You know, mm -hmm. when I first started my when I first got my black belt was in 2009. And I remember when I first started competing, you know, I had my certain positions I was really good at. But then I got to a certain point when I would meet somebody who was another high level competitor and I would try my technique and they would block it. And then I would find myself asking, man, what do I do next? You know, mm -hmm. like, like, oh, I, I don't know what to put after this. You know, like he just stopped my best move what should I do next? And I felt myself, I caught myself thinking like that during matches, you know? So I went back to the drawing board and I kept working on transitions. Mm -hmm. and that's when I started realizing for, in order to be 
one of the best black belts in the world, your technique has to be on point, but more so than technique, your transitions and your the way you chain together your techniques have to be even sharper, you know? So I started working on building off my certain techniques that I enjoyed using. For example, I like the knee cut. So I started working, okay, if the person brings the, the knee shield in, then I go shin cut or I'll long step, or if they push me away with the bench press, I'll, you know, reach over the top for the Kimura. You know, I started working things like that, you know, how to chain my techniques together to get the best, uh, you know, the, the best uh, scenario out of it, you know, because like I said, I got to a point where I started hitting those, those techniques, but then you'll find somebody who is good enough to block them. And then you find yourself asking what, what's next. So uh, I think it's super important to chain those techniques together, 100%. And so um, it, just in your opinion, do you find that it's better to get those looks by having um, multiple, like a bunch of different training partners or training with the same people and going for the same thing when they hope, basically hoping that they start to give you different looks so you can keep adding. I would say a little bit of both. You know, you need a little bit of both, and that's why competing is so good, right? Um, so, you, so you have your training, and within your training, um, you're going to have those training partners that push you, right? And the cool thing about it, the cool thing about having training partners that you train with in the regular is this. Um, I, may, I may train with somebody for two, three months, and I may crush them for two, three months with a knee cut, with, with a certain knee cut technique I'm using. But maybe in two, three months, when you go for that knee cut again, they, they do something differently, which, which they adapted to. They adapted to your position so they can stop it and attack you. And now you find yourself asking, man, what do I got to do to stop that now? So having good training partners that push one another will help force you to grow. And then competing, too. Competing... Uh, you know, that's why I recommend competing. I think when you compete, it's going to force you to, to level up your jiu-jitsu because you're going to go out there and work those techniques on somebody you may have never competed or trained with. And you don't know their game. Sometimes you're going to go out there and have somebody you have no idea what they're going to do. No idea. So when you're able to hit your techniques on someone like that, I think it just, it one, it just uh, engraves that position into your brain even deeper. You know, uh -huh. you get a deeper understanding of your positions and how to use them against somebody that you don't know what they're going to react with. So I, I would say competing and training 100% is great for developing your techniques. And then every now and then, if you can grab a, a partner or, or go to an open mat or, or find somebody you've never trained with before and train with them, it's going to give you that same look as competing. You know, maybe not the same intensity as you would when you compete. But it's going to give you that look in the sense of like, I'm not sure how this person is going to react when I do this technique. And when you when you find those moments or you find those training partners, those are the moments that force your jiu-jitsu to grow and evolve. So um, you mentioned when you were talking about that, that uh, you may be going for the same knee cut for two or three months on one of your training partners. Is that something that you do is like um, when something's working against a training partner, you keep doing it? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep doing it for sure. And then uh, it's, you know, at this point now, I've been training so long that I'm, I'm waiting now for my partner to have some sort of uh, reaction to it, some sort of uh, some sort of way to try to stop it. So this way I can it will force me to keep diving deeper into the technique and developing even further. Yeah, that that makes sense. I think that's probably how jujitsu systems are created a lot is that easy step a and then now it's your turn to respond and i'm going to try to beat it 100%. Uh, so 
for you coming up and we're talking about um talking about training right so you are training under jared from what year did you start training with him uh i want to say probably man what year was it i want to say 2007 and on i would say until uh i'm pretty much moved to california in 2012 so i want to say around 2007 2008 i started training with jared Okay, and so uh, what belt were you when you went to Jared's? Um, I was a new, brand new brown belt when I started training with Jared. And so in brown belt, you had a really good competitive, um, you know, a lot of good competitive accolades yeah. in brown belt, correct? Uh, yeah. Um, no, did you win Nogi Worlds at weight and open? Um, no, I just, I just won, uh, weight. I won Europeans at open weight and okay. weight class. Okay. And, and so, yeah, and that was really, I mean, um, I think I might've been a blue belt at the time, maybe a white belt, but, uh, that was really when people started hearing about like JT Torres and like, yeah. oh man, this, this young kid, cause you were what, 19, 20 years old at that. Uh, I was when I actually when I got my brown belt, I was seventeen years old. Were you so this, really? This, yeah, I was even younger. So this was before like the IBJJF like rules that now they have more uh, strict age restrictions. I think on belts. Mm -hmm. Um, but I got my brown belt at seventeen years old. Um, you know, I, I went from white belt to black belt in four years and change. You know, uh, and and this is, you know, during the time where. Like I was telling you, I was looking on BJJ.org for a lot of technique and stuff uh -huh. like that, you know? Um, but yeah, so I got my brown belt at 17. Uh, I, I got it the day before I turned 18 years old. So I remember, I will never forget, I got it uh, September 1st, my birthday September 2nd. So I got my brown belt at 17. And then when I went on a tear, I was 18 years old. I, I was 18 years old. I, when I started doing really well, I was brown belt for two years. So my first year at Brown Belt, um, I did okay. You know, I did okay. And then my second year at Brown Belt, when I had some more time to, to develop under Jared's uh, guidance, that's when I started really going on a, on a, on a killer tear. Um, my first year at Brown Belt, I was fighting all featherweight. And I remember I, started, I, started, I, I was starting to struggle to make featherweight towards the end. And I remember I fought World at Brown Belt featherweight. And I think I lost second or third round. I remember I just lost just just to straight uh, exhaustion. Like, I, didn't, I didn't have, I wasn't eating, my diet wasn't good. I, I didn't really know how to make weight then. And I remember just, you know, just not, not having the energy out there to compete. And I remember Jared told me, hey man, you're, you're a growing kid. You gotta go up in weight. So the next year I went up to lightweight because Jared told me to go to lightweight. And then that lightweight is when I started really crushing it. Yeah, and so um, just kind of as a side note, and I was I wanted to get to this at a certain time, but I feel like now would be a, a perfect uh, a segue to it. But you recently started competing, at least in IBJJF's uh, middleweight. Um, what kind of went into that? What was your thought process behind that? I'm uh, just you know as I've as I gotten older, it's just it just become it's become harder to make lightweight. You know, uh, I've been making lightweight since I was 18 years old. And now I'm 30. So now it's just a little harder. You know, I've gotten bigger over the years. It's just, you know, as I became a man, uh, I just became a little bit bigger. So it's harder for me to make lightweight. 
I just feel healthier at middleweight. You know, it's more of my natural walking weight, walking around weight right now. So I'm not a huge fan of cutting weight, especially for IBGF tournaments, because you have to weigh in literally right before you compete. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've started kind of going over to the middleweight here and there. And so for you, have you noticed a strength difference at middleweight? Uh, no, not really. Honestly, I feel, uh, I feel, you know, I've always, people have always told me, man, you're freakishly strong, JT. You're always super strong, this and that. So, uh, for me at middleweight, I don't, I don't really feel a huge difference with the, with the strength, uh, department. I actually, I actually feel better at middleweight because people are a little bit slower there. The lightweights are way faster. Yes. Yes. I think that that is, um, that that is always what people go to when it comes to weight classes is they're like, oh, yeah, those guys are going to be so much stronger than you. But there are um, I mean, there are different games. I bounce between middle and, and medium heavy a lot and yeah. medium heavy guys all want to play top. And it's like, man, if you play bottom, it just sometimes it makes more sense to play, yeah. go to me- medium heavy because you're going to get to play bottom. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and so, you know, I think that it's funny that all these different weight classes have all kinds of different um uh, aspects to them but um oh, yeah. just kind of back to you know where we were where we were at in your journey you're talking about um you know, you're training with jared you really you get your black belt um and you're starting especially as an american you are really starting to become a a bigger name in jujitsu and you tr- make that transition to autos what did that kind of look like for you um so it was a kind of uh you know, when I made that transition to California, it was kind of a hectic time in my life. You know, when I was uh, living in Maryland, training at Team Lord Urban, uh, you know, it was a great training camp. But unfortunately, some some things took place that kind of uh, threw the focus off on training and becoming world champion. And I, I had to do what I thought was best for myself at the time. So I had to take myself to a new environment, kind of like a fresh start, you know, a fresh breath of air just to kind of reset my mind and uh, just get back on the, on the path and focusing on becoming a world champion. So when I decided to move out to California, it was, it was kind of, uh, you know, on a, on a whim. It was just, it, it all happened so fast. It wasn't something that was planned, you know, like I was planning, oh, you know, in six months, I'm going to go to California. I literally ended up deciding to go to California within like two weeks, a two week period. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Um, I remember at the time, uh, my friend Keenan had moved to California two weeks prior, two, three weeks prior than I did. And I remember when he was out there or when he was going out there, he asked me, if you were going to, if you were to go to California, where would you train? And I told him, man, I would train at Atos for sure if I had the opportunity to go to California. So then he ended up going to Atos and training with Andre Gaval. And I remember for those couple of weeks that he was already out there, we were, you know, staying in touch and i was asking him how's the training out there he's like man it is so awesome you should really come out you should really come out and i was like i don't know if i if i can you know i'm 22 at this time i'm broke i don't have any money i'm like i don't know if i can i mean what would i do if i go out there you know where would i stay he goes dude just come out we'll figure it out whatever you're 22 years old you have no responsibilities right now now's the time for you to come out and make a move like that so I made the decision to to move out there. I remember I got a an air a one way ticket. I packed one bag. I went out there with a couple hundred bucks in my pocket, and I literally had no plan. Like when I went to California, I had no plan. I had no idea where I was going to stay that night when I landed. I had no idea on anything. I just packed my bag and I left. 
And was that uh, super stressful for you to to kind of go out there with that? Um, it was, but it was also exciting at the same time. You know, it's kind of, uh, you know, this is going to be a jiu-jitsu journey, I told myself. Um, and I'm going to figure it out. You know, I'm going to figure it out. And I think that experience helped me mature, you know, as, as a jiu-jitsu fighter, but also as a human, you know, as yeah. a man. You know, it, it made me step up in many different ways. So you go out there. What were those first few months like? Brutal, brutal, man. So uh, brutal as far as everything goes. Uh, I remember I was sleeping on people's floors and couches. I remember one of my first, uh, I think my one of my first weeks there, my second or third week there, uh, I had, I didn't really have any geese with me at the time. I didn't really have a sponsor yet. And I remember uh, I had a few different, uh, I had one, I forget who it was, but they sent me some geese to train in, right? I only had a few geese. And when they sent me these geese, it brought me up to a count of like three to four geese in my rotation, right? And I remember I was staying in these apartments on this guy's floor on, on Leo. He was actually the white belt instructor. I was staying on his, on his floor in his living room. And I remember one day I went downstairs to put my geese in the laundry, so I put them in the laundry and I went back upstairs and I, you know, timed it. So when the laundry was done, we'll go back downstairs and put them in the dryer. I remember I went downstairs to get my geese out of the washing machine and someone took them. Like oh. they were gone. Oh, no. So the, yeah. So I was like, damn, man, this is this sucks. So I think I had one gee to my name for her like the first two, three months. Um, and then uh, I was lucky enough to sign uh, with Tatami Fightwear then. And then that, you know. They, they really helped me out tremendously during my first year in San Diego. But, yeah, before I signed with Tatami, though, I remember I had one gi to my name for a little bit. And then uh, training, I had to adjust to the training at Autos, man. The training was high level. Um, I remember being a black belt out there and, and coming from the East Coast, I was one of the top, top dogs on the mat. And then when I went out there, it was just a different game uh, compared from the East to the West Coast. When I went out to Autos, you, you had – uh, I remember having a hard time. I remember some of the trainings, I would get my butt kicked by a purple belt. And I'd be like, man, well, like this is a different pace out here. Yeah. Um, a different level of technique. I would definitely say it was more technical out in Autos from where I was coming from. I was used to being rough and tough, and I was in shape, and I can push the pace with anybody. But I remember the technique level was different in California, so it took me some time to adjust. I would say that first month, it, it was, you know, it was tough, but I adjusted, and then after that first month, I, I kind of caught my feet underneath me, and then, you know, I was, I was rolling with the punches and, and, and punching back. But yeah. I remember when I first moved out there, it was definitely an adjustment I had to make on, on, on terms of everything, right? You know, living, uh, uh, training, just everything was different. I remember coming from the East Coast, it's a lot more fast-paced. I remember going to California, and I remember after training, I found myself kind of asking myself what do we do now like this it's so relaxed and, and and kicked back out in california which i wasn't used to that either so it was a lot of adjustment adjustment i had to, i had to make but uh like i said for at the end i think it was all for the good it, it forced me to 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 step up in many different ways how were you making money uh man it was tough so I was making, so I was lucky enough to be a black belt when I moved out there, right? Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to to have some sort of a name, little name, a little following. 
Um, so I started doing little, uh, prior lessons here and there. That's how I was making money, just teaching prior lessons here and there, um, eating a lot of breakfast burritos. That were, I remember they were like a dollar fifty. So for a few, you know, two three months, man, that's all we would eat—just breakfast burritos. Um, we were definitely roughing it, man. I remember uh, sometimes we would sleep in cars. Like some of my friends would sleep in cars. Like it was, you know, it was it. We grinded it out, man. We grinded yeah. it out. So yeah. we were making, I was making money with do, doing a prior lesson here and there. And the way I would get the prior lessons when I first went out there, um, Professor Gravel said, hey, we'll exchange your, your tuition for you teaching the kids' classes here. So I was teaching the kids' classes in Autos for exchange of free tuition uh, for like the first year I was there. So I was lucky enough to to make good connections with the parents throughout the kids program there, you know? And that's one thing about me too, that I think led to that was that I'm always, whenever I do something, I do it a hundred percent. I do 110%. So even when I was out there teaching the kids classes, I taught a great class. You know, I, I, I did it with passion and I did it the right way. I did my job the right way. So I think the parents saw that and they were impressed with my ability to teach. So they started, you know, hiring me for prior lessons, which helped out big time. Was there at this point, you're starting to get your feet kind of under, you're starting to teach um, private lessons for kids, and you're teaching kids classes. Was there a point where you were like game planning for the future financially, where you're like, man, I'm going to do this in jujitsu and that's going to create this money for me? Or was it like, let's just grind until we you know, get to the highest level? Let's just grind until we get to the highest level. You know, that was, <laughs> that was the game plan. I had, uh, when I went out there, I had the mindset of of working the hardest I can, building my name the biggest I can. So when it's time for me to open an academy, I can open it, you know, with you know uh, some good accolades underneath my belt. So that was the game plan. I, you know, I went out there and I say, you know, I'm just going to grind it out. I'm going to rough it out for as long as I have to. This way, I can grow my, you know, grow my brand. Right? Yeah, Everyone has yeah. to grow their brand, so I have to grow this brand of mine. And then when it's time to open something of my own, I'll do that. And so you, you know, you start to get to that point to open something of your own. Would that have been 2016? 2016, I made the decision to move back to New York. This is after spending four years in California. Um, I made a decision to go back and, you know, uh, you know, go on this adventure of opening up an academy and, you know, very similar to how it was when I moved to California, I moved back to the East coast with, with little to no plan. You know, when people ask like, Oh, when you went back, you already had the place picked out. You already had a lease sign. You already had construction going. I'm like, no, I moved back and I said, I'm going to figure it out. Like I figured out everything else I've done so far to that point in my life. Um, so yeah, so when, when we made the decision, me and my fiance, so she actually moved out to California with me. After a month of me living in California, um, so she came out and she was a tremendous help uh, of helping me survive in California. Um, but you know, me, we made a decision together. Hey, you know, let's take everything we've learned because at the t- at that time, she Andre Gaval hired her to manage Autos, so oh, she okay. helped Autos grow on the business side. So. Um, we, you know, we put our minds together. I'm like, look, I've been teaching the kids program for the last four years. I, I feel like I got some better experience as a teacher. I got to see how Professor Gravel r- ran his academy, him being an instructor and a competitor at the same time. 
and she's, you know, she saw the business side of things. So we put our minds together four years into living in California and decided to move back. So I feel like um, it's it's really common in jujitsu. You you often hear people talk about like you know it's just not really possible to be a gym owner, run your own academy, run your own training, and to be able to compete at that highest level at <laughs> adult. Yeah. But for you, you go out, you start essential jujitsu, and then you win ADCC. Yeah. So I remember when I first announced I was moving back to the East Coast, opening an academy. Uh, Flow Grappling put out like a little story on it, like a little, uh, like a little write up on it. And I remember uh, when they published it, I saw a lot of people commenting on it, like on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm not someone who's like into, I'm, I, you know, I like using social media, but I'm not someone who would sit there and kind of, you know, uh, get into arguments with, you know, people in the comments section, you know. But I do read the comments here and there, so. I remember when they, when they posted that, I, I remember reading people writing uh, JT's competitive career is over, kiss goodbye <laughs> to ever winning a world title and blah, 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 and things like that. Uh, people wrote, worst decision he could make right now, blah, 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 blah. So when I saw those comments, I never responded, but I used them as motivation. So, uh, you know, when I, when I uh, opened up the academy and then a few months later I went ADCC, you know, arguably the biggest tournament in the world people shut up real quick. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. this is and, crazy. And so what went into that? You open your academy, and I guess my question is, how do you go from arguably the best training room in jiu-jitsu? Um, I mean, to a lot of people, it's not even arguable that if you just look at the accolades on the mat yeah. at Atos, to running your own academy, having to schedule your own training, but still being able to win the biggest tournament in the world. Uh, what goes into it? You're asking. Yes. Yes. A lot, a <laughs> lot, a lot of dedication, suffering, sacrifice, pain, all of that mixed in blood, sweat, and tears. All of that mixed in together is what, what it takes to do something like that. I remember when I first opened my Academy, uh, well, actually, even before I opened the academy, I was already back on the East Coast. I got the invitation for ADCC 2017. I remember, I remember thinking about it. Like, do I even accept the invitation? I don't even have my gym open yet. Like, I don't know if I can even prepare for this tournament when it comes around. So I accepted it anyways, and I told myself, if worst comes to worst, you know, I can't do it. I can't do it. You know. And I remember I was able to get the academy open and. Three months later, ADCC was coming up. So I remember just training with my, you know, I had a few students at the time. I remember during the time, during the training camp, uh, I remember even asking myself, man, do we have enough money to pay the rent for the gym next month? You know, I had, I had a lot of things going on at the same time. But with all those things being said, I still stayed focused. And I, I took what I learned at Cal- in California. Because I remember I, I got to see for four years, uh, Galvao win ADCC titles and Gi World titles while running an academy. I got mm-hmm. to see how he structured the training, how he balanced himself out between instructor and competitor. So I use those, I use those experiences on for, for myself now. And I, I put together the training camp along with, you know, Galvao's help. And I just, I held myself accountable. You know, I held myself accountable for everything, you know, uh, my lifting, my running, my diet, my, my, my drilling, my sparring. So everything was just taken to a next level. My, my focus went through the roof 
Um, and I, and I, and I put that up to just, just for the simple fact that it was more than just about me now. Remember when I was living in California and I would prepare for a tournament, there was days where I would feel tired. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to train today. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get sick. Where when I was running my academy, I had to show up regardless because I had to teach the class. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, I had to be there. So it forced me to, uh, it forced my dedication to go through the roof. Uh, I joke around a lot and, and said that opening an academy is like having a baby and it gave me dad powers, you know, and, <laughs> and those dad powers kicked in. I remember being at ADCC and the prize is $10,000 when you win ADCC at the weight class. And I remember telling myself before this tournament, before the tournament, I'm like, man, I can really use that money. Uh-huh. Like I can really use that money. I, I need I need that money. So that all of that mixed in together is what really pushed me to to break through because before that point I've won major titles, right? I've won Europeans, Pan Ams, Nogi Worlds, Nogi Pants, all at Black Belt. Like I've I've done really well for myself at Black Belt up to that point. Um, but I've always uh, fell short at the major tournaments. Like I remember at that point I had four medals at Black Belt Worlds with the Guion. I had three bronze, one silver. I had a bronze medal at ADCC, um, so I've always been one of the best, but never been the best, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, all that mixed in together, leading up to 2017 ADCC is what pushed me through, pushed me through to that next level. Um, my my will to win went through the roof for that tournament. You know, it was like I said, it was more than just about me. I had to, I had to. I had I had to win in my eyes for the survival of my academy, and yeah. that that's what that's what pushed me. And see, I feel like you might be the type of person that will look for that motivation, and when you find you know and and create that in your mind that like, hey, look, if you if you really wanted to, if you didn't win ADCC, you're the type of person whose ca- academy still would have been going because you were a grinder, right? right? Yeah, but hundred percent because the. You look at 2019 and you do it again. Was that your same motivation or did you find something different to be motivated about? Um, it was my same motivation, but I, at that point, you know, now I have a, a room full of students and, and I, I even had students come out to California to watch me compete. And my goal was to motivate and inspire my students to go out there and do whatever they want to accomplish, whatever it may be, you know, whether it's, you know, goals related to competing or goals to just achieve a black belt one day, or, you know, they want to lose weight or, you know, just learn how to defend themselves. I want to inspire my students. You know, I want, I want them to, to see me on the, on the, on the front lines do, you know, doing what I always preach to them. Uh You know, I, I like to preach to my students, you know, work hard, hard work works. You know, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And for 2019, I had so many more students witness my training camp. They saw what went into it. I remember some students who, because I, I have a competition class Monday through Friday at 11 a.m., which it's a, no, a no-nonsense class. It's just a class where we train to win world titles. So I had a lot of students who would come in just to watch the class because they wanted to watch me train and see how hard I pushed myself. And... They would see me come back at night and teach a class with a big smile on my face. So, like, how do you keep that energy up? Like, aren't you exhausted? Aren't you dead tired? I'm like, yes, but it's all mindset. It's mm-hmm. all mindset, you know. And then I went out there and competed and 
won back-to-back ADCC world titles. And like I said, I, I just proved to my students that through hard work, you can accomplish what you want to accomplish. What you put yourself out to accomplish, you can do it with hard work and dedication and sacrifice and going through that pain, going through that grind. Anything worth having won't be easy. But if you go through that pain, if you go through those suffering, the, the, you know, those suffer, those suffer type uh, training sessions, you can do what you want to do. You know, you just got to you got to grind it out, though. That's really good, man. I find myself moving around in my chair as you say that. I'm that that's that's really cool um, to just hear about that mindset, hear about that mentality. Where do you feel like that came from? Um, you know, I've always been someone who's been who's been driven naturally. You know, I've I, I've always been the type who, even if the coach is not around, I will still do the training. I will still do I'll still do the workout. So I've always been driven. I always, I've always been driven to be successful. And like I said earlier, I've always been the type to, when I do anything, it can be anything that I do, I'll give it 110%. So, you know, that's naturally within me. But like I said, you know, having a group of people who I have the ability to inspire is what motivated me even more, man. You know, just just being able to motivate other people and inspire them is what pushes me. Like, you know, one of our slogans for academy, for for my academy is inspire and share. And that's something I, I truly believe in. And, and for you, you know, you are, um, you're having to wear multiple hats, right? You're having to be an academy owner, a coach, and, um, and a competitor. Uh, how do you find the ability to focus on all three of those things with everything that you have? Do you feel like it's like a, a, you flip a switch on one and that's what you're focused on at the time? Um, you know, People always talk about this, and I and I hear people say, "Man, it's almost impossible to do it. It's hard. It is hard. I'm not gonna lie. It's hard to balance all those, you know, different roles that I play. But it, it's difficult. But it's easy for me to want to go and do it. It's mm-hmm. easy for me to want to do it because it's something that I love. I'm passionate about jujitsu. So if you're passionate about something, it's easy for you to do it. Um, e- I know it sounds weird. It's, it's easy to do it, even though it's hard to do it. I don't know if you if you understand what I'm saying. Like I know it's gonna be difficult. But I have no problem going through the difficult times on achieving this 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 goal because it's something that I love to do. Yeah, and sometimes you get into those modes and um, you don't know anything other than you know pushing through. You don't know you know there's no other real option than to go as hard as you can. Yeah, man. There's no plan B. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So. Yeah. Um, for you as a gym owner, are you kind of a, a goal oriented person? And if so, um, what are some goals as a coach and as an owner that you have as a coach and as a gym owner, you know, some of my goals that I have now is to one, just continue building the Academy, uh, building the atmosphere in the Academy. That's something I'm passionate about. I want a great atmosphere where everyone feels welcomed. Everyone feels safe. And happy and, and, and happy to train with, you know, their, their teammates and friends. Um, so I want to continue building the academy up and, and build it to a world-class academy where when people hear about Essential Jiu-Jitsu, they, they, they immediately say, that's a great academy. I've heard great things about that place. Um, second, I just want to, I will, as a, from a competitor, I would like to create future Black Belt World Champions future ADCC world champions. That's, that's one of my goals as well, uh, to keep working with the young, because I have a, a good group of young guys who, who 
who have goals of becoming world champion. So now I'm excited to help them along their journeys. And three, I just want to have uh, I, just, I have a goal of just building good martial artists, man, which which entitles being a good person on and off the mats. That's that's probably my number one goal over everything. I want to develop, uh, you know, a whole room of black belts underneath me one day who who I help get to the to the black belt level. But I want to make sure they're good people on and off the mats. That's that's really cool, man. Do you have any um, any more goals as a competitor? Um, I've, you know, I, I do, I do this, this year I was seeking out the geek world title, you know, up until the, the coronavirus hit, you know, and kind of canceled that event out for this year. So I would say as far as jiu-jitsu goes, I, I want to say I've, I've hit most of my major goals as far as a competitor. Um, but there's always something to work towards, right? You always have to have some sort of goal. The, the day you stop having goals is the day that you die. That's what mm -hmm. I like to think. That's the way I like. That's what I like to say. And that's the way I like to think. So I have a goal for myself to win the Gi World Title. I believe I can do it. Um, so yeah, that was my goal for for this year. But you know, it's looking like we're gonna have to wait next year for that one. Do you think? Do you have anything specific that you feel like you need to do in order to beat or, or to to win that uh, Gi World Title? I think when it comes to the gi, it's especially at the black belt level and especially with the with, with where jiu-jitsu is at now, it's all about having a really good game plan, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm someone who, who likes to go into a match with a game plan. But you'll, you, you see nowadays where um, some of the some of the competitors like to get to their positions and kind of time when they sweep or when they try to make an advantage, you know, they play the game plan down to the T. Where I'm someone who who's someone who who likes to push the pace and push push the action, which sometimes that gets me in trouble with the Gion, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I I have to approach it a little bit differently. I'm still gonna go in with my style, with my attacking style. I just need to approach it a little bit differently. Yes, it can't. It it is. There are layers to competition. Um, being you know, uh, I mean. Not to bring up anything negative, but in 2019, when you were you were in 50-50 and yeah. kind of stuck in one of those positions and somebody played really well of just, even though I'm not going to sweep, even though I'm not going <laughs> to win from this position, right. you know, I can still win this match, right? And, exactly. Uh, and so for you, you know, because I think anyone who's competed at a high level, um, like myself included, it's frustrating when you get stuck in those positions that you feel like um, uh, there's not a lot of offense, a lot of, not a lot of action to go through those. What do you feel like um, is the is the mindset or the way to handle um, positions like that in uh, competitive jujitsu now? I, I know, know that's broad, I, but yeah, yeah. You know, for someone like me as the athlete, I can only do so much. You know, like we saw in 2019, I was trying to get out of the 50-50, but when I was in the 50-50, my opponent also took the lapel and wrapped it around my leg. So it's like, I'm tied into the 50-50. So it was, it was crazy. I was, there wasn't much I could do. So it comes to a certain point where the organization has to step up, right? They need to step up and, and make rules. Like to me, when I look at that match, one, the first thing I think about is what spectator wants to watch that match? Like when I, I, I hate having my name attached to a match like that. That's just, mm. I think, terrible for the viewers, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and two, I think that, you know, like I said, the organi organization needs to step up at that point. They need to recognize that and they need to recognize that, hey, there's not much going on at this certain point. Maybe make a rule of stalemate. You know, this is a stalemate position. Stand back up. Reset. Mm -hmm. um, so 
like I said, you know, there's only so much we can do as athletes when we get caught in those positions. Um, so I think the organization needs to step up and make rules against those, those, those types of positions and games because now they're becoming more frequent, right? You're starting to see more matches like that. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a huge fan of watching a lot of those black belt matches that you see nowadays. I prefer watching mm-hmm. matches from like 2008, 2009. You know, mm-hmm. those were, I think, more exciting times in jiu-jitsu. Um, or I prefer watching Nogi, right? Nogi, there's a lot more action, uh, you know, a lot less stalling. So I think the organiza- organizations need to step up and make some solid rules to help avoid positions like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that is something that really needs to be done. And maybe it doesn't need to be done. Maybe they're making money regardless. So they, you know, it's not a big deal for them. But um, right. it, as a, it, in the opinion of somebody who is a competitor and somebody just absolutely loves watching jujitsu, it is so boring to watch some of those matches um, that put that get put in tie ups that there's pretty much, you know, I sweep you, you sweep me, I sweep you, you sweep me, and whoever's on top at the end wins the match. And exactly. It, it can be really frustrating to watch um, jujitsu from that lens, you know? Um, yeah, it's true. Uh, but kind of at this point in the podcast, we're, um, we are to the end. I always like to play a game with people. Is that okay with you? Let's do it. Okay, so the game is called Take It or Leave It. And so what happens is I will make a statement and you can either take it, which means you agree with the statement, or you can leave it, which means you disagree and we can discuss it. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So we're going to start out with, and this is um, the hot button topic of the um, podcast that has absolutely nothing to do with jujitsu, but take it or leave it. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Uh, Take it. Take it. All right. Good. I'm glad that you glad that you agree with it. Okay. So um, take it or leave it. I, I actually just did a um, uh, a podcast with Christian Woodmansey, and he kind of we kind of got into this. But take it or leave it. No one is more Philly than Jared Weiner. Take it. Yeah, that's kind of what uh, that's kind of what I've heard about him is. Uh, oh, yeah. There's, yeah, it, that he is the king of Philly, as, as Christian put it. 100%. Okay, so take it or leave it. New York style pizza is the best style of pizza. Take it. Take it? You're, you're agreeing? Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. so if, if you are going to New York for the first time, where is the place to get the pizza from? Uh, there's a lot of good spots, man, but if you're down in the city – I think Soho, uh, by Soho, there's a place called Prince Street Pizza that I really enjoy. I like it oh. a lot. Okay, okay. All right, so take it or leave it. This is the big one. JT Torres will win the adult world championships in the Geek. Take it. Take, take it. it. Is it going to be, I mean, I know it would have been 2020 if if there was, there, there was one, but is it going to be in 2021? Yeah, odd years work really well for me. 2017, <laughs> 2019, 2021. Be I like year. it. I like it, man. I like it. So, um, all right, last last take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Essential Jiu-Jitsu will produce an adult black belt world champion. Take it. Most definitely take it. Take it. Do you have the guy now? You don't have to name him, but you or girl. Do you have the guy or girl now that's going to be there? I have a few of them. You have a few of them. I love that. I love that. 
And so um, just kind of uh, finishing off, I always finish off with the same question. Okay? okay. So I'm at a JT Torres seminar. I am a blue belt. And I raise my hand during question and answer. And I ask you, JT, how do I suck less at jujitsu? Focus on the details, honing on the details, not, not necessarily the, all the techniques you can learn. Focus on the details that allow you to help you control movement, control the hips, get underhooks. Focus on details for control. That's good. That's a good answer. I like that it's simple, too. I think that that's uh, really important for, you know, growing and stuff. Absolutely. All right, man. Is there anything you want to finish with saying? Uh, well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be part of the show today. I want to give a shout out to Tatami Fightwear, all my students at Essential. If anyone wants to, you know, keep up with me, you can check me out on, on Instagram at jtorsbjj. You can also check out my online website, essentialbjjonline.com. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys for your I appreciate you. All right, man. Awesome. Thank you for being on. My pleasure, brother. Thank you. And that is the interview. So uh, I really hope you guys enjoyed it because I know that was an interview that I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, what was cool though is after the interview, I got to talk to JT just a little bit more and I ended up purchasing an online private lesson from him. That is something that he does. And um, if you were to message him on Instagram, I'm sure he would be willing to accommodate you on them too. And I highly recommend it. Um, I did an hour long one and my dad and I split the time and just got to ask and get so much information from him. He is not a guy that shows you things that he doesn't do. And I think that's incredibly important when you are learning from an instructor or doing a private lesson is a lot of times you deal with guys that they just show you what they have seen and hey, this is what I've seen on, basically I've seen on Flow Grappling or YouTube and I'm now relaying it to you. He knows that his moves work and his details are important because it is exactly what he does and how he deals with these certain situations. And so that was, uh, that was my favorite part about after the interview, you know, like after the interview, I just got to ask him about it. and. We got into talking and did this private lesson. It was absolutely worth it. I would highly recommend it to you guys. Uh, now, if you guys enjoyed today's episode, please let me know or let JT know. It's always cool if you do an interview and you get some feedback from someone who listened to it, especially if you're not the, you know, it's not your show. You know, people listen to my show. I get to see the numbers of people that like it and share it and whatnot so i get to see the feedback someone like jt he may not get to see that so if you ever enjoy an interview always let people know that are the guest uh, people really enjoy that and so that is all i have for you guys today i hope you guys have a great rest of your day and i hope you guys suck just a little bit less at jujitsu